All right, thank you very much. Well, as we are going to look in God's Word this morning, I have a number of thoughts I'd like to say today before we look at God's Word. Uh, First of all, I just want to say uh, thanksgiving to the Lord for uh, God's bringing your pastor uh, through his most recent surgery. And... uh, Of course, we have prayed for your pastor, who's one of my closest friends, uh, for quite some time, and the Lord has taken him through some valleys, Uh, and God always does that for lots of reasons. Uh, One is that it does a work in us, and then two, it always does a work through us. And so I appreciate Sam and Beth's faithfulness to the Lord, but not just faithfulness, but the fervency that has come out of them through the trials that they've gone through. And I want to give thanks to the Lord for their example this morning. And I know that you will continue to pray for Him. In the back here of the building, there's a table that we have set up. We'd love for you to stop by and look over some of the things. The first thing is we'd love for you to take a prayer card and pray for us. Uh, As we are traveling in our journeys, we are... We are an evangelistic ministry. That really is the passion and heartbeat. And we're doing multiple services, events, concerts, and conferences, a lot of variety. And so please pray for us that God's hand of blessing and power will be upon us. We also have there on the table eight different books that I wrote over the last ten years that were written primarily primarily to help people grow in discipleship. And it's used for Bible studies, for discipleship groups and Sunday school classes. Numbers of books that are there on the table if you're interested. Uh, Probably the two most popular are the one here called Walking in the Spirit, a study from the book of Galatians, and then this one called uh, Encountering God, a study in the book of Psalms. And then also, and I'll say more about him, but... Uh, for these Christmas concerts that we're doing, we've, we've done about, we'll end up doing about seven of them after today. Uh, we have with us Dr. Ken Renfro, and I'll introduce him more officially so that you can clap and cheer for him at an appropriate time. Uh, but he does have a Christmas CD uh, on the table if you're interested. It's called A Merry Little Christmas, and it's the best deal in town. It's $5 if you're interested. So stop by and look those over if you still use CDs. So please do that this morning. I'd like us to read today from the, book of, from the book of Matthew. And I want to read the the what we would call the announcement of God to a young girl named Mary that she is going to give birth to a child. And so this morning I'd like to speak about that birth of Jesus since this is our holiday season. Christmas, of course, is a wonderful time. In some ways, it's a cultural thing in the United States that we make a big deal about it. And of course, there's a lot of commercialization along with that. There's a lot of festivity and celebration. But I think it's a wonderful thing that we can celebrate the Lord and focus our attention on Him and the work that He's done uh, as He came into this world. And so we're going to look at that this morning, Matthew chapter 1. And I'd like to begin reading in verse 18, Matthew 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, 
Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you and bless your name for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, for his miraculous conception, for his perfect and sinless life, for his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection from the grave. And thank you that in Christ alone that we have the hope of everlasting life. Oh Lord, please do what you have promised to do to bless your word. You have said that it is through the foolishness of preaching that people come to faith. And so Lord, we ask that you will Fulfill your plan that you establish before the foundation of the world to call a people unto yourself. And for that we pray in this place this morning by the power of the Spirit of God that brought Jesus Christ into this world. We pray this in his most wonderful and matchless name. Amen. Who would have ever thought that the foundation of the Christian faith would be based on the birth of a baby boy to a poor mother in a small town? Yet, that is the truth. For Jesus Christ, God's Son, was born to the Virgin Mary in a little town called Bethlehem. But may I say this morning, this was no ordinary birth, and this was no ordinary mother, and this was surely no ordinary son. So what happened in the birth of Jesus? Well, we read it this morning from Matthew's Gospel, where he describes it in this way in verse 18. He says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is how it happened. A man named Joseph was engaged to a virgin girl named Mary, probably 
in her later teen years. And it was discovered through this engagement, and the scriptural term is the word betrothal. And a betrothal to, uh, in Jewish culture is different than American culture. Uh, here, America, Americans, we get engaged, and that means that there is a commitment to being married. It's kind of like, yes, we're planning on getting married, and of course, we all know something could happen. But in the Jewish world and culture, a betrothal was actually like getting married. That was the level of commitment. The only difference was that the girl lived with her parents until the day came that they had the wedding celebration. So we could say it this way, it was more than an engagement. So Joseph is betrothed to Mary. Well, it is discovered through during this betrothal period that Mary is with, with child. She's pregnant. And it is quite clear that Joseph isn't the father. So what was he going to do? He was going to quietly break off the engagement because he did not want to shame her but his plan was to put her away until the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and he explained to him what was going on. Like most men, he was clueless. And so, well, please laugh, folks. They're not going to get any funnier. Uh, so what happened? What was going on? And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Four things. Number one, that when Jesus was born, this birth, and I want to make it very clear, was truly a miracle. When explained to Joseph, the angel spoke in miraculous terms. We read it here in Matthew where he writes, where, where Matthew writes and says, Joseph, the angel spoke and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That is that this conception cannot be explained in human terms. By the way, what is a biblical miracle? Oftentimes when we pray and God answers our prayer, we will say something like this. It was a miracle. Well, I don't want to burst your bubble, but it wasn't a miracle. What it was, was the providential hand of God working in your life through the circumstances in which we live. Yes, God heard your prayer. Yes, God answered your prayer. And yes, it was a blessing from the Lord, but it wasn't a miracle. For what is a miracle? A miracle, excuse me, a miracle is when God sets aside what we call natural ways of working. God sets aside the natural and he does something that you can only explain in a supernatural way. The birth of Jesus was not natural with a father and mother. It was a supernatural conception. 
In Luke's gospel, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. So think about this. An angel appeared to Joseph, and then Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to have a baby. Listen to what the angel says in Luke's gospel. He said, And behold, to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Well, Mary asks the appropriate question. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? How is this going to happen? And Luke answers and says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Like a shadow passing over you, there will come a move of God within your womb so that you will have a child that is conceived by the supernatural power of God. So what do we see? We see that the conception of Jesus is truly a miracle. It was by God's supernatural power beyond the natural. And I would like to say this morning that nothing like this has ever happened in human history before or since. It was unique to the person of Jesus. No world religious leader can ever claim that he was conceived with a virgin mother. Muhammad had a father and a mother. Buddha had a father and a mother. Confucius had a father and a mother. But Jesus Christ was conceived by God in the womb of a virgin. And I want us to understand that this was a clear miracle of God when God became a man. And that leads me to the second thing I'd like to say about this birth of Jesus and what happened. That not only was this truly a miracle, but this is truly a mystery. Here is what the angel said to Joseph. Mary will bear a son, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now let me just explain this if I can. The angel is pointing back to what God had promised through the prophet Isaiah. If you know your Bible, you know this. There are 66 books in the Bible. 39 of them are in the Old Testament. 27 are in the New Testament. There is a section in the Old Testament which we call the prophets, major and minor prophets. What is a prophet? A prophet is one who receives a message from God and then they go out and tell the message to the people. Sometimes a prophet is what we would say forth telling the truth. He is speaking to the people from God and for God to the people about their sins. So it is a direct message from God to the people of that day. But oftentimes the prophet is not just forth telling, but he is foretelling the future. He is saying what is going to happen in the future. And prophecy is important, ladies and gentlemen, because it is validating the truth of God that God has spoken to the world and he has spoken through the Jewish people. 
And so we have great prophets in the Bible like Jeremiah, Daniel, Zechariah, Micah, Hosea, and so forth. But perhaps the greatest of all prophets was Isaiah. And in Isaiah's prophecy of 66 chapters, there are multiple prophecies about Jesus Christ. And in Isaiah chapter 7, in verse 14, Isaiah speaks and he says these words, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That is, a virgin will bring forth a child and his name Emmanuel. So we fast forward, as Pastor Sam said it this morning, 800 years and an angel appears to the Virgin Mary and says that the prophecy of Isaiah is going to be fulfilled in you and through you. However, Matthew adds something that Isaiah did not. And that is, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, and then there's a parenthesis in the English. It says, which means, which being interpreted means God with us. Now, in one way, Matthew didn't have to say that to a Jewish person because a Jewish person knew what Emmanuel meant because El always means God. Iman or Iman means with or with us, God with us. So the interpretation was not necessarily just for the Jew, but it was also for the rest of the world. To understand the miracle of the birth of the baby Jesus, and that is this, that God became a man. And truly, this is a great mystery. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3.16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. What happened when Jesus was born? God was embodied in a human form. God, the creator of the universe, took on himself skin and flesh and bones and blood. God became one of us. The infinite became an infant. God and man were fully united in one person. God with us. God became a human being. You say, preacher, how do you explain it? I can't explain it. It's a mystery. It's a great one. Yet nonetheless, it is the truth. God with us. And by the, by the way, that word with us is not merely that he was among us, but it is far more than that. It means that he was bound to us. He was connected to us. He was united to us. He is bone of our bone. He is flesh 
of our flesh. 100% human, just like you and I, but not separated from us, but literally with us, united to us. Everything that made up a human body, mind, heart, soul, memory, imagination, judgment, everything that makes up a human being, Jesus was, with one exception, he had no sin nature. But what is important, folks, is he became one of us. And why? Because it is through Jesus that God is making it possible that you and I can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You see, we, we may believe in the existence of God, but we don't know God. How can you know God? How can you know the one who is infinite and almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing, who is a spirit that you cannot see, one who you cannot touch? How can you come to know the great God of the, of, of the universe? God made a decision to do it this way, that he would become one of us so that we could literally into, enter into a relationship with him. And this is a great mystery. Not one that we can fully grasp and comprehend. But may I say to you this morning, if you cannot rise up to understand, you can always bow down to worship. If you have a God that you can figure out, you don't have a God. For God has revealed himself in a way that we can understand, but still it's a great mystery. So the birth of Jesus was truly a miracle. The birth of Jesus is truly a mystery. But let me say thirdly that the birth of Jesus was truly majestic. When you think of the word majesty, you think of the word dignity, beauty, stateliness, royal power. The closest thing that we can get to that is probably the king and queen of England. And that's questionable. But with this majesty was also something that is majestic when we grasp it. And that is also humility. And what do we see in the birth of Jesus? We see the divine embodying the human. The creator of all things, assuming the nature of his creation. The power of the Almighty linking up with the weakness of humanity. Think about this. The Bible says the heavens cannot contain God as a dwelling place. The heavens, the expanse of the universe is too small for God. And if that is true, then how can God come to dwell in one human body? Yet Paul writes, For in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The birth of Jesus was truly majestic. And yet God chose to be born in a manger, among animals, in a small village with a virgin mother who for the rest of her life was questioned whether or not the birth of Jesus was actually immoral. 
And yet God chose to link the two together, majesty and humility, to show us who He is, but also to show us who we are. For what kind of value does this place on mankind for God to become one of us? We all understand to a degree the value of human beings and yet we all have a tendency to devalue ourselves. And I don't mean that in a psychological way. I mean that in understanding the fact that God became a human being for me. He came into this world for you. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And you are a part of that world. And God sent his son into this world so that you could enter into a relationship with him. God with us. This is true majesty. He became a man that he might bring us to God. Do you see that this morning? Do you comprehend that? That this was for you that he came into this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent his son to be the savior of the world. And that leads me to my last point this morning. And that is when we consider the birth of Jesus. It was not just a mystery and a miracle. And it wasn't just majesty. But for all of us, the birth of Jesus is truly mercy. If God came to be with us, then it means something good for us. My wife and I have four children. Most importantly, we have five grandchildren. Grandchildren are God's rewards for having to raise your children. All five of our grandchildren live in Salt Lake City, Utah. We have one girl and four boys. One princess and four Vikings. <laughs> and every time grandma and grandpa show up, every single time, the grandchildren rush to the door to see their grandmother. <laughs> Do you know why? Because when she arrives, she always consistently brings something good for them. The arrival of grandmother is something good. And that something good is what I paid for. <laughs> the arrival, folks, please grasp this. The arrival of Jesus into this world is something good for you, sir, and for you, ma'am. You say, preacher, what is that? Listen to what the angel said to Joseph. Mary, your wife, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. But the world through him might be saved. What is that good thing? Jesus came to be your savior from your sins. That is truly mercy. Because mercy is not needed when you are good. Mercy is needed when you are bad. How many of you have ever been stopped while driving your automobile by a police officer? Be honest, please. Raise your hand. Hold it up, all right? Lots of you. Now let me ask you a question. Whenever you're stopped, generally it's because you have violated a law. And the worst thing you can do to a police officer is make an excuse. Because when you make an excuse, you're saying you kept the law and you don't need anything from that officer. But what you actually need from that officer is you need mercy. So I learned a long time ago, never make an excuse, just be honest and look at the officer with those long eyes, hoping he's going to show you mercy. Now let me ask you, how many of you have ever been stopped and they gave you a warning and not a ticket? Raise your hand. Okay, that's called mercy. <laughs> Who needs mercy if you've done nothing wrong? But Jesus came into this world to save us from our sins because we have sinned. And so how does this salvation actually happen? How does it work? And I'd like to explain it in the most simple way. By explaining it the way the Bible speaks about two Adams. Have you ever heard of the first man, Adam? Paul says the first man, Adam, was the first living being. But the Bible speaks about a last Adam. And that last Adam is Jesus. And Paul says that he was the giver of eternal life. And when we look at the Bible, the Bible compares and contrasts the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam, the first man, was supernaturally created. He was made out of the dust of the earth and he re represented all of creation as the first human being. You can almost say that he was the king of that which God had created. And by Adam's choice, he disobeyed God and in so doing, he brought sin into the world and from that came death. So we read in the scriptures, Romans 5, 12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death is passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all die. The reason why we sin and the reason why we die is that when Adam sinned, his sin, number one, 
affected the entire human race, and number two, infected the entire human race. So that we are all born with Adam's nature. We are born with a sinful nature. And if you don't think that children are born sinful, sir, you've never worked in a church nursery with a long-winded preacher. Because you will walk away every time knowing that children are self-oriented. That's what sin is, self-orientation. Living for and pleasing yourself. And that was the effect of the first Adam in which we live with every single day of our life. So what did Jesus come to do? He came to be the second Adam. He came to fix what the first Adam broke. He came to repair what the first Adam ruined. He came to clean up the mess that the first Adam made. Jesus is called the second Adam. And like the first Adam, he was supernaturally created, but his was distinctly different. Because he was a human being, he came from his mother, but he was divine because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So that when Jesus was born, the distinction that he had is that he was the head of a new race. He represented us. And he did it in two ways. Number one, he did it by his life. And number two, he did it by his death. By his life, he lived the life that you and I should live. He lived under the law, and he lived without sin. He was a perfect Adam. He did what the first Adam didn't do. But not only did he live the life we should have lived, but he died the death that we should have died. For Jesus, at the age of 33 years old, was crucified on a cross and the Bible says that he put away our sin by his sacrifice. And in doing that, he obeyed God. Because God requires a sacrifice for sin. And Jesus became that sacrifice. And so as the second Adam, he came to fix what the first Adam did. He did that, ladies and gentlemen, for you and I because we are all members of Adam's race and through Jesus we can become a part of, if I could say it this way, his race and through him we have eternal life. And listen to what Paul writes in 1 John 2 verse 1. We have an advocate with the Father. You know what an advocate is? It's somebody who is passionately on your side and they speak up for you. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, when that little baby was born, it's truly mercy because God sent him into the world to deliver us from our sins so that we could have everlasting life. And how is it then that I gain eternal life? It's not by working my way or trying to live better or turning over a new leaf or following religious regulations or rituals. It is simply by believing in Christ. Think of it this way. If one man brought into the world sin, one man can bring into the world eternal life. And it is only through that one man you could be saved. It is by accepting him, embracing him, and believing on him. And the Apostle Paul tells us 
then obviously if God is with us and we become his children, then God is for us. And that promise God with us is not just at the moment that you're saved, but the moment you're connected to Jesus, that's for the rest of your life. From the womb to the tomb, from the cradle to the grave, and everything in between, Jesus is with us in the whole journey of our life. All of us here live different lives. But we all find in the life of Jesus points of likeness to our own. In other words, we identify with Him. Why? Because He identified with us. Hebrews says that in all things He was made like us. Hebrews says that in all points He was tempted like us. So whatever you experience, whatever you go through, Jesus has already been there and He is with us in the process. God is with us in our sorrows. God is with us in our sufferings. God is with us in our disappointments. He is with us in our adversities. He is with us in our loneliness. He is with us when we triumph and He is with us when we are defeated. He is with us when we have friends and He is with us when we have betrayers. Because Jesus experienced all of that. And because He is with us, then there's no place that we can go that He hasn't already been. And He is with us all along the way. He became like us so that we might become like Him. What a Savior. I wish that I could say more for I feel like what I've said this morning is so inadequate to explain what happened when Jesus was born. But as we close this morning, I ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you have him in your life and heart? If not, then open up your heart to Christ. The Bible says that it's like he stands at the door of your heart and he's knocking and he's wanting to come into your life. What must you do? Open the door and say, come in. And then let me say to you as a believer, he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He is God with us. So get to know him better. Understand his heart and mind. Yield your life to him. Trust him completely. Because God is with us. Would you bow your head as we close our eyes and pray this morning?